Welcome to Talking in Stations, a podcast about EVE Online. I'm Matterall, and with me is Elise. Hey, how's it going? Uh, happy to be here. Good to see you, Elise. So today we're going to talk about Beyond the Breach's eviction from their wormhole. And they are not alone. Looks like Inner Hell is up to something, uh, along with allies, uh, kind of cleaning up wormholes. So we're going to take a closer look at what's going on there. And talk to Beyond the Breach guys to see what is it that happened with them. So also we're going to talk about uh, some of the changes that are happening. There's rapid changes before FanFest. I'm surprised they're changing so much. Um, in any case, Frigate Bay, one of the new changes that's coming. It's not here yet. It is coming. We're going to look at that, analyze it, along with other things. We're going to do that with Bjorn B. We'll meet him in just a minute. And finally, we'll get to the health of EVE Online's economy. So we'll look at that with Noisy Gamer from the Noisy Gamer blog. It's a full show. Stick with us for the next hour and a half. Elise, how are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Like uh, you mentioned, it's a, it's a pretty big show. I was looking at the, the list of guests we have. We've got Bjorn B, eh, probably the biggest name in, in EVE streaming and uh, like content creation and stuff like that. Uh, we've got the Beyond the Breach guys who I've been fascinated about hearing uh, what they're up to because... I don't. I don't get into wormholes too much. <laughs> so uh, everything that happens there is, you know, like an interesting, bizarre world for me. And of course, noisy gamer who doesn't like uh, like stats and graphs. Stats and graphs. <laughs> okay, I think that's like the the core of Eve Online. All right, let's start out with a little bit of news. It's going to be intersprinkled uh, with uh, the topics today. Uh, but we're going to basically get you all caught up for January and February, all in one show. So this is going to be uh, really good. First thing I want to say is that uh, the former leader of Fraternity, Wind Spirits, and I had a conversation on Discord a few months ago where he said, get this, he said, I'm in Wuhan. And I was like, what corporation is Wuhan? because I had no idea what he was talking about. This was a while ago. And I was like, oh, that Wuhan. Yeah. So he was there and I said, are you all right? And he said, yeah. And basically I lost touch with him uh, and he kind of went silent. So I was like, well, you can't go silent on me. I got to make sure you're all right. And because uh, we knew they were evacuating people out of Wuhan early on. Uh, sorry, they quarantined at first. And I thought, did you make it out? And he said, no. So then they were uh, flying people out of Wuhan. And I said, did you make it out? And he said, no. Uh, and then I stopped hearing from him and I got really worried. Uh, it turns out he's fine. Uh, but he's like had some close calls and he's still in, uh, Wuhan, the city. So, uh, best of luck to wind spirits. Who's the founder of fraternity Alliance. I'm sure there are other players, uh, that play in Chinese alliances that, um, are also maybe, quarantined in their city or something since 750 million people are i think they're quarantined right something like that yeah that sounds about right i, I thought it was like they just sur uh surrounded like a, a region with 60 million people in it i don't know about anything higher than that but like nobody's getting out by train plane or automobile yeah I remember when it was happening, it was happening kind of slowly, like people couldn't leave in planes, but they could leave in cars and trains, and then it was trains. I don't know. Anyway, terrible situation. Uh, it's, you know, getting to be a pandemic and stuff, and some EVE players are going to be, you know, stuck in that situation. So best of luck to everybody. So, and especially Wind Spirits, who's a good friend of ours. Okay, also, you might have seen another uh, Chinese player, Drone Wang, uh, that was on the Meta Show, and 
it's kind of funny because uh, somebody told us how he got his name. Uh, and I see, I'll see if I can relay this story, but uh, he would say, assign drones to me. So he would say, assign drones to Wang. And then one time he screwed it up and said, assign your Wangs to drone. And so I think the name stuck, uh, but that's probably pretty funny. Yeah, that's amazing. And uh, if you don't know who Jerome Wang is, uh, he's uh, one of the higher ups in, in Ranger Regiment who recently uh, moved to, uh, to join the Imperium. Yeah, I should have started with that, right? Instead of saying he was just on the meta show. But uh, yeah, so he, he is the leader of Ranger Regiment. Oh, Ranger Regiment has moved down and is living with the Imperium or they're on their way to live there. Yeah, they have. They have announced that they're still going to fight over Declan and, and help out their their friends in uh, Darkness and uh, the entire coalition. But uh, most of their their big expensive assets they're they're moving down towards uh, to live on the towards Delve to live with the Imperium, which is the uh, the new coalition that they've joined. It's actually a pretty huge win for the Imperium, right? So. Ranger Regiment is, has proved to be one of the stronger uh, Chinese time zone alliances. Uh, you know, very competent. They don't need any handholding whatsoever. Uh, they don't need help making ISK. They don't need it. They're like established. Uh, so that's a, that's a huge win for the Imperium. Yeah, it seems like right now the fights are for over uh, hearts and minds of players that can perform in... Uh usually the weakest time in EVE Online, which would be the Australian time zone. But Australian, Chinese, and Russian kind of overlap. So a lot of these Chinese players and now Korean players are, are really valuable to organizations to bolster their, their around-the-clock um, potency, I guess. Yeah, and I think uh, Ranger Regiment, even if you just remove the fact that they're in uh, like an off-time zone, I think they're like just competent and, and good enough to be considered one of like a member of like some of the stronger uh, coalitions like the don't poo poo these guys they're they know what they're doing all right so some of the stuff that we've done i don't know if you guys are aware but we have a second podcast called today and eve online and we do it daily and uh you can get that off of uh soundcloud it's also on spotify and itunes and stuff but look for it by name today and eve online and we take about 90 minutes every morning to you know, dig deeper into topics. So here's some of the stuff that we've gone through this week in case you want to go back and look for it. On Tuesday, we were off Monday. On Tuesday, we did Eve North. It's going to happen at Niagara Falls. Um, on Wednesday, we talked about the Northern War update with Killaby and he took us through what's going on there. Uh, real quick, Dead Coalition is essentially mm, kind of on life support. Uh, sort Dragon's power seems to be waning since he's losing influence by losing players especially those precious uh, Chinese players. Um, as we said here, Ranger Regiment and uh, Dracarius also moved to the Imperium, or at least half of them did, or most of them. I heard some Ranger Regiment actually went to NC. I'm not sure about that, or went to Fraternity, either way. Also, you have uh, the new owners of Tinal are Triple uh, V and MSN, which are two Chinese organizations up there, and they're kind of getting... Um, they're establishing themselves in the areas that are vacated by Dead Coalition. They're also being targeted from Venal, uh, Venal being NPC space. Um, I, I heard that Tissue and Trigger Happy actually are are taking out some bigger ships from the new guys that are moving in. Uh, that's Triple V and MSN. On Thursday, we talked um, about Inner Hell's eviction. 
of Beyond the Breach. And uh, we talked to one of our guests today about it, and that was pretty interesting. Um, but right after we finished the program, we had to fire up a second program because the frigate Escape Bay was announced. So we're going to talk to BRMB about that. And, and, and we talked about that for about an hour or two. And then finally on Friday, we talked the monthly economic report and went over some of the astounding progress that OASA um, ratting has made over the last month that would belong to fraternity. So that space is being ratted pretty heavily by fraternity. And those are the shows on Today and Eve Online. Check those out. Okay. Shall we introduce our first guest? Uh, what should we start with? Bjorn B? Yeah, if you that, want, sure. <laughs> I asked that as a question, but I, <laughs> it probably shouldn't have been a question. Uh, but guess who needs no introduction, actually? But yeah, really, you, know, you, guys, you guys know that voice, and you certainly would know that face. He's off camera today. We'll, uh, we'll have him on again with camera at some point. Um, how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Um, so there are some changes, at least. Do you want to explain what some of these changes are that are Yeah, when... Um, so the An Eve Pulse video came out earlier this week and, uh, and it, it was like loaded with a whole bunch of cool stuff about what's happening in EVE Online. And uh, we got to hear uh, a few things that are happening. Um, one of the biggest patches that or one of the like bigger things is that battleships will now be getting a, a frigate escape bay. So when your battleship explodes, you will have loaded it potentially if you want to. It's not mandatory, I don't think. You'll have loaded it with a, a frigate of some sort. And then instead of hopping into your pod when your battleship explodes, you'll be in a frigate and the fight will continue. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the EVE world has been a tizzy with what, you know, what are the implications for fleet fights? Uh, what are the implications for small and medium gangs? Everyone seems to have an opinion about that. Uh, and if that wasn't enough, uh, they also announced that the, uh, the filaments from December uh, that were like, named after the reindeers that would send uh, small groups uh, up to 25 people to various areas of NullSec space. Those are coming back. Um, I think they're technically called needle jacks, uh, needle jack filaments, but everyone just refers to them as, as heat filaments anyways, because you just yeet your fleet around. Um, you know, so that's where you can take a, a group of up to 25 people and just fling them off to some area of space uh, that's populated or has people in it. And then you, I guess, you either kill everyone there or you die trying to get home. So it, it's great. It's uh, a very interesting mechanic. And Bjornby, uh, you run fleets, public fleets, uh, that get actually quite big. So probably too big for a lot of these uh, filaments. Uh, what is your take on the filaments and, and the, the freaking escape patch? Like just, just throw everything at you. Honestly, I can't wait for the filaments again. They were so fucking fun. Um, it's like... Uh, it felt like something was missing. Like they'd given us cake and then when they took it away again, I was like, dude, something is missing. Like where's the, the spiciness like of just getting thrown into the middle of nowhere. It honestly, I, I kind of got a little depressed with Eve like when they took them away. So I'm, I'm super happy about the filaments coming back. Uh, but the other thing, the, uh, the escape path, frigate in your pocket, it's, it's, it's a weird one. Like the, the best comment I read about it was like, no one asked for this. But sure, we'll take it. Like, this sounds pretty fun. And uh, I'm definitely going to use them, but I don't know exactly how useful they're going to be for what I do or when I'm soloing and stuff. Um, I think that if I get killed in a battleship by anything, they're going to be able to take out whatever frigate I have in there. Like, it's not going to really matter in that situation. Um, 
unless I'm trying to hold something down and had like a group of friends coming in too, then it'd be kind of kind of dirty to, you know, just have a Ram Jag sitting in there just to hold the target for a little longer. And I think it's going to happen to me a lot where I'm going to kill a battleship and be like, shit, and now I'm just tackled by a Jag. Now what do I do? So it's going to be, it's going to be definitely different. I'm not sure hmm. like how often I'm going to run into things like that. If it's going to be like the new flavor of the month and everyone uses it for a week and then people go, I don't want to lose two ships at a time. So I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> I was, uh, it reminds me for some reason of ghost writing. You remember that at least? Yeah. So uh, basically there was this, this period in, in EVE Online where you could jump your carrier uh, and then to, to a Sino and then eject the ship from the bay, hop in it, like use it to tackle a super cap or something like that. Uh, and then your friends could come in and, and help kill it. Uh, it was one of the most cool interactions and yeah. a, a really good way to get your, get your ship stolen as well. Uh, you would also tackle your own carrier that you just jumped out of as it was ghost, right? There's nobody in it. Uh, yeah, well, you're supposed to. It doesn't always <laughs> work out like that. Uh, PL used this tactic a lot. Uh, and there were... There were more than there was more than one instance when a person lost his ship in the process, but we usually uh, either killed it or got it back. You mean somebody stole the carrier? Like somebody jumped in it? And... Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. It's a it's a really funny like mechanic yeah. though, being able to jump into another ship. And I like toyed around with this when I was flying orcas and stuff, PvPing, and I would have a um, a magus in the in the bay. So when my orca blew up after trying to kill some group. I would just hop straight into the escape pod magus and then jump away and just continue roaming. But it's a little that's different amazing. with frigates. Oh, that's wild. Uh, so you haven't, like, as soon as you saw it, what was just your first gut reaction to it? Why? <laughs> that was my first, <laughs> why? why? Why are we getting this? And then I thought it over. I was like, okay, sounds kind of fun. And like deep down, all I wanted was filaments back. And then the news came of that and I was like, okay, okay. We can make yeah. something really cool happen with both of these things together. They kind of squashed the headline, right? Yeah, kind of. It, it overshadowed it a lot because the filaments were really well taken by the community. I don't like hear many people bitching about people kind of jumping around the galaxy because it's not too overpowered. It's only up to 25 people. If it was like 200-man fleets, it would be completely broken. But in today's eve, like if you can't deal with 20 dudes that jump in, you know. Yeah. So those are was, the filaments, right? Yeah. It was really well these 20 dudes, if they all have frigates in there too, and suddenly they become like a, you know, <laughs> a small, you know, retry gang after you kill their battleship, that could be, it could be really fun. Yeah, you start off as a, a roaming battleship fleet and end up as like retribution fleet. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can put all frigates in there. You can put T2 logistics frigates in there and electronic attack frigates as well. Like you could really load those puppies up. The, pretty much the only thing you can't shove in there is an interceptor. So you can't just like <laughs> zoom, zoom out if you're bubbled because that would be a little bit broken. Yeah, I'm glad they did that too. I wasn't sure about that. You guys corrected me on that before. Look at all these fans you have out here. Buzz, buzz, B. That's, is that your saying? Hey. <laughs> yeah, they made it for you anyway. A lot of people saying buzz, <laughs> buzz, B in the uh, chat. Okay, so looking at this from the perspective of players, the um, was this, people are like looking at it, trying to figure out what's this for? Um, what do you see for this being used in, in like a bigger fleet versus what it's going to be like for streamers? Like, is there going to be a, an advantage for either of those professions or gameplay styles? 
I'm not sure how useful it's going to be for soloing. Um, so if, like I said before, if I get killed by a, a group and I'm in a battleship, so first of all, if I'm in a battleship, that means whatever is fighting me chose to aggress me. You, you have to kind of hope that people attack you if you're in battleships. You can't be the aggressor in a way because you're so slow at locking people, slow at warping, all that stuff. So if they've decided to attack me and they managed to kill me, they should have enough firepower and utility on grid to kill a frigate that hops out. I don't see the frigate really being that useful except for some fringe cases where like a 1v1 ends up with me dying and then I hop into, you know, some kind of SIG tanking small thing that, that can't be killed by the other battleship or something. But in most scenarios, I think that frigate's just going to die. Um, but with fleets, I think it's very different. Because if you have a fleet that comes into a fight and as soon as you die, an electronic attack ship hop, pops out, suddenly you have like, okay, we lost DPS, but we gained utility on grid. Like it can be, I think it can change a lot. And you do, um, you do a lot of like public fleets that, that actually get quite big. Have you been like theory crafting any like battleship doctrines with like kitsunes shoved in the back or shoved in the things or? Uh, not kitsune knows, but um, I have been thinking about fleets, especially with the, uh, the filament, but that does kind of limit how many people I can bring. And I actually use the filaments a lot on my own and not much for fleet when I was doing it because I don't, you know, I don't like saying no to people, but it's kind of hard for me to say no to the ones who want to join, but I have like a hard limit of 25 people only. Um, but I'm definitely going to use that more and be like, okay, I'm going to do this type of fleet. You have to be able to fly this and it'll be a little bit more expensive. So that'll probably push some of the people away who would have joined in like noob ships and stuff. So, um, you were talking about the filaments and, and you know, like they kind of did bury the lead a little bit because they introduced the, the frigate bay first. Um, but then some enterprising young people found on Hobo Leaks, the yeet filaments were added to, to a, like a testing environment for CCP. So they had to announce it kind of like the day after. Uh. Um, <laughs> most people that I talk to are super stoked about the, the filaments. Like, uh, hunters love it, right? Uh, the prey, I mean, for obvious reasons, right? They get thrown out to an area of populated space. They don't have to worry about anything. But even the, the people that are the prey, or the prey in, in a lot of these situations, they like it too because every once in a while they'll just have their, like, uh, their local system say, oh, some guy's a few jumps away. Let's form it and, and kill them. And obviously they know there's a limit to, to what the enemies could have, 25 people tops. And sometimes it could be like 10 or 15 or even just one or two people. So for, for everyone I was talking to, they were like, yeah, this is like the good parts of Blackout without the bad parts of Blackout. So everyone was like uh, really uh, excited about that. And like you said, I don't think I've run into many people that hated it. No, I think it's fairly balanced also because you can't go back. You can't get reinforcements. You don't choose where you go. Um, if you have a bunch of blues, you can just jump into a blue area and be like, ah, oh, shit, we all got to wait now. But for someone like me who has no blues and I can just go and, you know, what I want to do is end up in the middle of NoSec somewhere. If I can bypass all the usual gate camps, all the usual low set groups that I usually have to go through to then get to my area in the middle of nowhere, that's just, it feels like a matchmaking thing without matchmaking. But you know what I mean? Yeah, it does really feel like that. It's like, oh, I've got 40 minutes to play EVE online. Uh... Or I've got 40 minutes to do something, right? So let me just play yeah. you online. Instead of traveling for an hour and dying to a gate camp, just throw me somewhere and then at least I have a chance of getting something. Right? Even if the outcome is the same where you die horribly, it just feels better, you know? Yeah, and it adds variety as well. It's not the same people that I'm fighting over and over again. 
because I, for example, live in Jeddah. I can just undock there in whatever ship I want and then be like, boom, in the middle of nowhere and fighting people that I don't usually encounter. And I think that's a really fun little mechanic. And because it's not, I can't ask for reinforcement. It's not like a wormhole where I could have something hiding inside or more people or backup. It is just a one-way trip. And, you know, I'm most likely going to die. And I think it's, I think it's a really cool addition. And then add on top of it, if I bring in, you know, a battleship and can continue in a frigate, that sounds pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, because there are some frigates that, that can hold their own, right? Like you could take a, a retribution and even make a little fleet with those. Or you could take something like an Ishkur, even though the Ishkur is kind of a yeah. dumpster fire right now. But I think it's going to be a lot stronger with a group <laughs> of people than it is solo. Um, if you have like yeah. a dedicated secondary comp inside all your battleships, like you jump, you know, 20 something dudes in and they're all in... Uh, you know, remote repair battleships or something something dumb and fun. That could be really cool. But then when they all die, suddenly it's a completely different kiting frigate fleet or something. That could be, you know, can make a lot of cool things happen. Yeah, I remember um, I was like, as soon as the news broke, I was like trying to see what people were, were talking about. Some people were like, oh, this is this is pointless. It's never going to be used for this. It's only going to be used for small gang. And small gang people would be like, yeah, hey, it's probably only going to be used for medium to, to large stuff. And then the Mitanni... Um, who usually doesn't get super excited about Eve stuff because he's kind of like the, the king of space over there, right? Uh, he got super excited at the concept of saying, hey, we can have like a typhoon doctrine that turns into a harp, like a full-on harpy fleet yeah. uh, if something bad happens. Like he got really excited. You're talking about a guy who usually doesn't um, work with the nuts, nuts and bolts of like doctrines. You see, he he's even theory crafting some things, so it's a it's a pretty nifty little change. Yeah, I think it's going to be really healthy and fun for the game. It adds like a different variety to it too. It adds a different kind of theory crafting. Okay, how many people? Because the the, the filaments over the Christmas period were just a limited time, but now if it's going to be a permanent thing, then people are going to make dedicated top twenty five kind of fleets where it's twenty five people. What is the best I can use with it? And then if you want to use the other thing on top where you have battleships that then transform into tiny frigate fleets, that could be, could be really, really cool. Yeah, you're going to have people coming with like Alliance Torment type doctrines, right? Because the Alliance yeah. Torment was always about min-maxing because you had a limited number of people. Uh, same with the filaments, you have a limited number. So EVE players are definitely going to min-max. It's not going to be like, hey, can I take my Drake? No, you can't. Get out of here. You have to take <laughs> one specific type. So that's going to be funny. And, and people in chat are actually... Um, commenting a few interesting changes as well, like low sec groups. Exxon Fang brings up that low sec groups right now that just camp like high sec to low sec pipes. They're going to be getting some action uh, on the other side, the null sec to low sec pipes, because yeah, people are coming back. Back, yeah. And um, some people have asked where the filaments are going to come from. Uh, since we did announce that they're coming from data sites, so that's actually a pretty big boost to explorers as well. I think that's a fantastic um, thing because data sites have always been kind of shit. I remember many years <laughs> yeah. ago when I was PVEing, um, I used to do relic sites and then just normal writing stuff. And I would almost just skip the data sites at the end. So I think this is a huge, like, positive boost for data sites and, and runners that are doing uh, exploration and stuff. And there's a, there's a bunch of them out there. You might not realize this, but if you park yourself in, like, the most desolate NullSec area and just watch scans for a while... You'll see like singleton Asteros going through like at least every half hour. Uh, I was completely blown away because I like I snuck into Stange to to see what was going on out there. They're just like Astero, nothing. Astero, nothing. So these people like 
a lot of these people are out there. So it'll give uh, give those explorers something to to get. What, what do you guys think of the scale of these changes? Are they big and imaginative? Are they foundation changing? Um, they are kind of foundation changing. It's not it's not normal to just to be able to jump anywhere in kind of a matchmaking way. You could have done it with a lot of preparation and dedication through wormholes or through other means. Um, but I think this does change fundamentally how I'm going to be able to stream and play Eve and do it with friends just to be able to go, hey, let's go on an adventure in the middle of nowhere. We're all going to die. What are we ready to bring? I think it's, I think it's really good. Yeah, I think this is the... Um, CCB have been looking for a mechanic where you can sit down with a limited time, like they understand that their players are, are aging. Um, and this was an issue even when I was on the CSM like eight years ago. Like one of the big questions was like, how do we get people who have a limited amount of time able to interact with the game? Um, so there are all these ideas that, you know, were, were floating around of like, yo, how can we minimize the boring parts? How can we just put you in an area where you can play? I remember when the Abyssal Sites came out, um, it's like, yo, 15 minutes, I get my PvE content and it's actually challenging. And I was all about that. Like, I'm not usually a PvE player, but I, I found it entertaining because the rats were new, they were dynamic. Um, and then they added uh, PvP to those things. And for like the first week, I was all about it. I was like, oh, nice. I can instantly get PvP if I want. But then it got kind of stale because people figured out the meta, right? It, it, there's only one person involved. It's super easy to like min-max and come up with like the best way to do it. And then it just is rock, paper, scissors with like 15 billion isk ships. So, so that, that immediately uh, passed for me. But then with these filaments, it just seems so easy to do. Like it just seems like it was the low-hanging fruit, but I, I didn't think of it. Like it's just genius. That's really cool. It's a really cool addition. And I think we're going to be all happier finding more content this way. Uh, it's going to definitely right. cut out the boring parts, like you said. Um, there are many times when I'm streaming and I just take 40 you know, minutes to an hour just to find the next fight. Because I know I'm going through a dead region where I know I've just gotten past this region here and, and gotten my fights, but there's nothing left until that next kind of bloom on the map that I'm heading to. If in that kind of situation, I can just go, okay, I'm going to wait here and just jump somewhere else. That's going to be, it's going to cut out a lot of the boring parts, like you said. I really like the analogy of it's it's matchmaking. <laughs> it's it's matchmaking yeah. in an MMO, which uh, we've never really seen before from, or I've never seen it any MMO before. And it feels good when CCP are coming up with like new exciting ideas rather than just kind of I don't want to say copying what the industry is doing, but like following lead what the industry is doing, which it kind of felt like it, they've been doing for a while. So I, I love it. An MMO with matchmaking. Who, who could think of it? Only crazy Icelandic Vikings can do it. <laughs> I think we're on to some here. Uh, I do want to say these things are related to the next thing that we'll move to. Uh, these filaments that were created, they, when they first came out, wasn't there a problem with those filaments? They, were they buggy or something? I'm not actually sure. I wasn't playing the first week. I was going back to Iceland at the time. So I missed out on the first week of filaments. When I came back, people had kind of figured them out. Um, there were many, many yeah. different ones. I'm not sure they're bringing fewer types of filaments now, right? Oh, there were no bugs, says CCP Signal in our chat. Great. Okay, so there were no signals. But from my understanding, in order to make them permanent, they had to make some changes. And some of the changes they had to make actually affected or overlapped with wormholes 
uh, in that when they used a prop mod to increase their mass, um, that that uh, something that was known as a, a common practice was actually fixed. And people think that was a bad bug fix because it was such a useful thing. Let me introduce the uh, wormhole guys uh, along with Bjorn so that we can start talking about the changes that happened to wormholes. Uh, let's see. From beyond the breach, we have Mon Lau. Hey, guys. Hey, Mon. I, uh, hey, Mon. I saw you making this great. Hey, Mon. It's Lou, by the way. I, I just said. And then the um, Moon Lord. Hello, hello. And there is Joyce Leneluck. Hello. Hey, guys. So these three guys are from Beyond the Breach. And uh, we'll get into their story in just a second. But I want to talk about this change to wormholes. Uh, and I don't, I, don't, I don't know how to describe it. Can you guys describe it? Well, basically, um, before the change, you were able to activate a prop mod while jumping through the wormhole, which allowed you to put more mass on the wormhole itself than you should have been allowed to jump through it, which basically allowed you to put a lot more mass through like frigate holes or allowed for capital rolling, which is now not possible anymore or not in the way anymore than it was before. So was this enough to collapse the uncollapsible worm, uh, frigate wormholes? Uh, yes, in a way. Um, wow. You always have to see it. Like the moment you press onto jump, um, let's say Eve is reading, are you allowed to do this, right? So it's reading your hick right now is has the size of a frigate. And then in the second part where you get this um, animation and you hear the sound, he's actually reading again, what is your mass and make it minus. And if you do in between and just um, yeah. use your prop mod in between, which is going to give you a mass bloom, he's going to make this minus the bigger one. Wow. Now, what I, what I understand of this is that you can still turn on your prop mod before you hit the hole, the jump. But then it won't let you through because of the max, you are under the max mass. You're over the max uh, mass. I'm sorry. So what you were doing here is you were getting through the hole, then increasing your mass. Pretty much, yes. As opposed to the hole blocking you saying you can't pass, you're too big. Yes. For example, if you, if you just sometimes do it the wrong way and you're sitting in your carrier and you want to roll a C5, C5 connection, and you turn on your prop bot before you jump and just telling you your ship, your ship is too big. You cannot jump. So you jump first, activate your prop bot after to roll it. Okay, so what are the widespread implications uh, of this change? Like, how is this going to change life for you guys in wormholes? For us, not that much. We are living in a C2, so we are not um, rolling with caps who use this method every time. We're rolling with battleships. They are rigged and fitted so that they are right below 300,000. This is um, the limit for us. So for us, not a lot. We don't have a hick anymore to close critted holes reliably. Uh, that, not really. You can still close critted holes. Yeah, true. The large holes. Yeah, no. but... yeah, that's completely true. All we don't have is one way to close frickles. Hmm. So basically, like, uh, your quality of life is changing a little bit. It's For you guys, it's not making it uh, terrible or, or anything, but... Um, from what I from what I, I gather from a lot of uh, people, like I said earlier in the show, 
wormhole people, I, I don't spend too much time in wormholes. I'm just using them to transition from one place to another. Um, I did live in one for a little while, but it was spooky and I died. Uh, so screw that. Um, but people are, are saying like, th this does change significantly the dynamic when um, like you're trying to evict someone, you're trying to maintain whole control uh, versus like when you're getting evicted. Is there any credence to that, or, or is it just people like not liking change? Uh, there is some truth to that. Um, a good example of that was during uh, when we got evicted. We had a wormhole um, frigate, frigate hole spawn in uh, in our home hole, and um, previously you could close those pretty quickly using hicks. Um, but that is not possible anymore. So that would open up an avenue for the defender to bring in um, bring in more reinforcements that way. Um, yeah. Uh, Bjorn B, I want to bring you in here too, since uh, you're yeah. sticking around. Are you ever jump into wormhole? Do your streaming fleets? Uh, not with my fleets, no. Uh, well, except for a few cases of going through Thera and stuff. But then the wormhole guys can hate me because Thera is not a wormhole apparently. Um, I do have a question to them. Like, do you guys think that the frigate bay in battleships, because you say you're using battleships to roll, are you guys going to be using frigates in those battleships from now on to have more people in fights, effectively? Um, to us, we, we normally rely on really, really tight fleet doctrines. To, so my in, initial thoughts is that to combine a mix of frigates and battleships into one doctrine is going to be a little tricky. Um, and also, if we do bring battleships, um, if they all, if like half of them die, we, we need to mix, right? So it needs to be something that can go swing both ways. So it's a little tricky to find something like that. One of the uh, interesting things, and, and you know, when I was just reminded of this, uh, when you mentioned that you had some trouble mixing battleships and frigates, because uh, most people would. Um, there is one exception, which uh, the goons kind of, or not the goons, I should say, the Imperium, um, they have a SIG deployed up north. And one of the doctrines that they decided to bring was typhoons, but with frigate logistics. Um, and so now, like if they wanted to, to use that uh, when this change comes out, and I think it's in a month or so, um, as soon as you kill DPS, their lodging numbers just go up. So you're going to have to really try and consider what you what you want to do. It, it is a, a neat little use case um, that, that already you can kind of see like the, the signs up. Yeah, well, the filaments actually can be used as early as next week on the 27th. Yeah, the filaments are, are coming uh, pretty early. Um, also, uh, welcome all the people that are watching Pando stream. I was also watching it uh, on the side. We, we watch it while we do the show. I have a question, though. You were saying that you don't think that you can have two fleets, a frigate fleet and then a battleship fleet that would work together. But, I mean, you can never have more than enough, you know, ECM ships in a fight or any kind of force multiplier frigates because the E-War frigates are pretty damn good, even if just kind of on their own. I mean, if you die in a battleship and there's only, like, 20 of you fighting another 20, instead of you being out of the fight, being suddenly there in a Kitsune or some... E warship, or even just like a T2 laundry frigate that has to be, like, even though it's not going to stand on its own, it's just going to be kind of a buff. You're not completely out of the fight, kind of thing. I, I would see myself using it if I lived in wormholes and had like limited numbers. The thing is, uh, we don't only have limited numbers, we also have limited mass. So bringing 20 battleships is a big commitment because there's no way back normally after 20 battleships. 
even more so then, because the frigate's going to be inside of the battleship. So when you die, you have that extra ship. I mean, it seems like a, like a no-brainer to then have a secondary ship inside yours to continue in the fight. What I think is going to happen in Wormall Space is that so there's a lot of close-range fighting, especially in battleship doctrines. They end up often in armor brawls. Uh, so let's say that your battleship dies. It's normally going to be an extremely close range to the enemy fleet. If if it becomes like meta to have like an ECM frigate or something, that frigate's going to pop out at pretty much point blank range or whatever you want to fight, which is not ideal for most uh, EW frigates. That's true. But on the other end, it's like you're dead anyway, so you would be in a pod. So if you have another shot in the frigate, that's what you can try. I can definitely see some kind of video in the future coming out with some wormhole fight happening. And then as each DPS ship dies, one more Logi frigate pops out and they just about equalize the DPS incoming. Just because like they lose DPS but gain, you know, reps instead. I can definitely see it happening. Yeah, I think that's the idea of, of um, allowing momentum to switch. And also what you said, Bjorn, this is a different, uh, a now an, a new element, a new variable in... Uh, theory crafting yeah but the momentum swing is immediately what came to mind is like oh so as you lose dps you pick up logistics and does that equalize the dps incoming he does have a very good point though that when you die in those kind of situations you are going to be at zero and then you know very unlikely that your e-war freak survives that but i mean it, there are cases where i could i could see it working if they're too slow at locking it or stuff depends on on how people react to it but now you have targeting decisions to make as a as an FC. Do you blow up a battleship and then kill the frigate right away, or I don't know? These are questions above my pay grade. At least it's all you. Oh, I mean, for I was talking to uh, a lot of like larger Nelsec block FCs, people who do theory crafting. They're they're kind of mixed between being super excited about it and being like really apathetic because uh, their take is hey, we're all going to die to bombs anyway, so the frigates are just going to die to the next wave of bombs. So I'm still not going to take battleships. Uh, I don't want this at all. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to theorycraft about it the day after an announcement or the week after an announcement. And it's something completely different to, to sit, sit on it for a week or a month even uh, and just kind of tear it apart, which is something that EVE players are, are very good at. Yeah, Ashrathi says smart bombs are a go. I think smart bombs would be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, so you lose one of your dudes and you kill his frigate too. Yeah, it's like killing your babies. Like, no. I mean, it does add a, a new level of complexity to FC's decision making, which, you know, let's be honest, that, that really, that dynamic hasn't been touched in probably a decade. Um, and so that that completely changes things. Um I still am not sure exactly how it's going to work. Like I'm, I'm still just like kind of processing and digesting uh, the change. Um, one of the things that excites me, and I was trying to find because uh, the video I was watching, but there is a um, there is someone who makes YouTube content, and he lives in uh, a wormhole, and he flies uh, like it's it's like a three man PvP thing fighting like five or six people, and he's usually in a leshak. Uh, and he's multi-boxing, and he's got a Drakovic, uh, a Drakovic uh, as a friend coming in. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna definitely find it because I'm just looking through my YouTube history. But the only thing I think of, this guy is going to love it because he's gonna be in a Leshak. He's gonna be fighting people, killing people, 
Um, and then just as he dies, and just as the other side is, is like crippled without any backup, he's going to be now in a new ship to wreak havoc on it. So like that one guy, I think, is going to be super excited about this change. I'm just happy for all the guys that are like, ha I wanted to be in this frigate anyway. Thanks but for I, <laughs> we're I was talking about boosters anyway. Ha ha. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't I didn't want my ship anyway. Here's a Ram Jack. Thanks for taking all that extra weight off me. Uh so the implications for wormholers then are are you guys as confused as known space people? Uh, about this change, well, all change everything to kind of mix up the meta is is uh, as long as it's not super broken, I'm all for it. Uh, it adds more complexity to, to fights, more decision-making, uh, and also more planning. So I'm all for it. These are all things you guys are good at, right? Well, we try at least. Yeah. Well, let's talk about um, your recent history. Uh, could you mind telling us what happened in your home in Wormhole Space and... Um, maybe even future plans, but tell us, like, set up for us what happened uh, when uh, Inner Hell came a-knocking. Uh, the, uh, the thing was, I, I got pinged from, uh, from my corp right after the armor timer. Um, and Inner Hell had already established whole, whole control at that point. They had uh, a way bigger force than we could actually contest for whole control. Um, so... We were mostly scrambling on the outside, trying to get in. Um, so we had a couple ally uh, corporations and people contacting us, and we were trying to get everyone organized and assemble plans for us to to actually try to get in uh, before the final structure timer for the important forest our timer. So that was that was like the lead up for us. Um, we were rage rolling from. Um, from wormholes that had static C2s. I think one of the FCs there said he opened like 200 wormholes um, and couldn't get it. Wow. Uh, we had, uh, we also had groups uh, from Thera trying to find connections through the null six static we had um, because everything was, was door stopped. Every, every hole was critted and they were sitting on the outside ready to roll as soon as they saw someone on the scan or local or anything. So that was the situation we were in. Um, let me, let me interrupt you there. When you said people were looking for a way in from NullSec, what does that actually mean? So since we have a static to NullSec, uh, there will always be a NullSec connection to our home hole. Um, so a way to do that is to... Um, we knew we had well, kind of who their rollers were, their characters. So we're actually using stuff like locator agents to see who, where the doorstop was. Uh, otherwise, we would have to actually send a character from our hole into the nullsec home uh, hole and see where that was, and then try to send people there, uh, which was very, very tricky. So we had to use uh, some some game mechanics, some some locator agents, stuff like that, and also try to get. Um, get a connection close. So Thera, um, I, don't know, I don't remember what those new ones are called with insane amounts of connections in them. Uh, we use those as well. Um, and we, we, yeah, exactly. So we, we finally got a break. Um, on the last night before the timer, we managed to get about uh, between 60 and 80 people in, in interceptors. So, but it, it, it's hard. <laughs> it's like a, it's a fatigue game to uh, 
to play the whole control game for sure. You had interesting defenders. Like, who did you call and why did they come? So we, we've been really active in pretty much as many fights as we can be in. Um, a lot of them are basically kind of like armor brawls. We're not interested in evicting anyone. We basically get connections and we, we have a good brawl um, and we close it. And then we, you know, we talk about it later or we, we establish connections that way. Um, the, so, so we have a lot of connections like that, uh, in addition to a couple friends that we have helped before. So there were a lot of people just coming to us offering, they want to have, um, they want to have good PVP and have content and we were offering free ships, uh, and a fight. So I assume um, that sounds like a good deal for them. Yeah. Were there, were there null sec entities in there? Sorry. Or were there just a sporadic few? Uh, we never had any contact with any NullSec entities, um, but there were some spread out people, people we know from before that joined different NullSec entities that, that wanted to come and join. So, but we, we didn't have anything planned with any NullSec alliances or corps to come help us. Uh, I see. Because we were looking at the, we we're trying to figure out, actually, I think Interhal was pointing out, look, you have you know, these guys are calling in NullSec. There's a few guys, I don't know, Code is not NullSec. There's a guy from Code and some other people. So um, what is the deal? I'm sorry, did you finish telling the story of the eviction? Like what finally happened? Well, what finally happened was that, uh, so we had all the ships planned and everything. We handed out ships and so we had the fight uh, and we had some some pretty big mishaps on the planning. Uh, like for instance, we had about 3,000 fighters short for this fight to go in a little bit closer manner, but uh, but that was basically it. Um, luckily, most of our active pilots um, were able to safe log most of their stuff in like suitcase freighters, uh, stuff like that. So the active guys didn't lose that much, um, except for most of the corp ships that we handed out. So um, we uh, we're pretty high spirit. That's we'll we'll cope with this. When I talked to you guys, you didn't seem that bothered by it at all, but um, it is a pain, right? Like, what, what does a group like yours have to do now? Uh, the main thing is to build up the infrastructure again. Um, that, is, that is like the main thing and get people, uh, people's ships in. It's a lot of logistics work, uh, babysitting timers, uh, rolling holes, keeping hole control, stuff like that. So... And also helping those individual pilots that that lost a lot. Luckily, we do have quite a few people in in the in our corp and alliance that have substantial resources available to to hand out and give stuff out. So we're pretty lucky on that sense. Uh, so in in terms of like is clause, we're we don't care too much. Also, the corp was always meant as a nonprofit, and the corp was never rich. We are running 100% SAP on everything, but the corp also has to work for the SAP. Like if there's no one putting money in, there will no money coming out. Ah, space communism. It actually works. Kind of. <laughs> I think it's a wormhole thing because we, I think maybe a month and a half ago, we were talking oddly enough to inner hell. Um, and they were like, yeah, we do the same space communism type thing too. Like we just have... Uh, hangers and you bring your you buy your first ship you bring that to the fleet and then when you lose it you get another one without having to pay anything yeah. so you just have to bring right. your first so I wonder if that's a wormhole type thing 
You crazy wormholers. Uh, no, ev- Evolution does it. Uh, Evolution Corp. I they, mean, they don't care. Do they? <laughs> I mean, uh, you're right. A, a lot of groups <laughs> used to do it when Eve first started as well. Um, yeah, that was a long time ago. All of Mercenary Coalition was based off that. You might have... Uh, those fighters might, yeah, mercenary coalition. Those fighters might have gotten old and greedy and been like, "Yeah, I'm not, I'm not. Uh, you're not taking my couch. I need this." Uh, anyway, uh, sorry to interrupt you. At least the um, so you guys, I wanted to ask, do you guys pick the same type of hole because each hole has its own bonuses and uh, hindrances, or do you pick a new type of hole? Oh, we're already back and running in our old hole. I mean, we have a lot of freighters locked off here. We had a lot of stuff locked off. Oh. So we already dropped the 40 are already back again. So you're back in the same system? Yes. Hashtag well, already it, replaced. That's not an eviction then. You weren't evicted. Well, for, for you to kick someone out of the hole fully, you have to like, stay in the hole for a very long time to make sure that they like, do not anchor new structures and contest new structures and also stop people from logging in their caps or faders again. So it's, it's a lot of work to like fully kick someone out and kick the pilots out. So this is more of like they raised your lands. Well, yeah, basically they, they reset our infrastructure and kill a couple of ships. Yeah. Oh, great. Laura Seco from Hard Knocks is saying, we'll, we will see. I wonder what he's referring to. Now, here's the funny thing. We had Laura Seco on last week when we were talking to CCP Rise about the wormhole changes. And in the middle of the show, he's like, uh, I'm, I'm moving a fleet into position. And it was to evict you guys. So what happened with Inner Hell? Why did they bring Hard Knocks and Laser Hawks? They're supposed to be sworn enemies. Well, that's kind of a question you have to ask them. Um, I mean, I, I don't know if they just decided to bring more people to, to kill caps because they knew we had caps. Um, but I mean, um, it's, it's difficult to speculate. Did, did I have to bring them? Probably not. Um, would I have gotten as many kills as I did without them? Probably not. Um, so uh, I don't really know. Well, you guys could have overcome inner, uh, inner hell, couldn't you, with your friends? The thing is, you, if, when you're fighting on a 40-star grid like that, the grid is huge. Uh, from one end to the other, it it's it's a massive massive span of space so to actually control everything uh against uh like tachyon fitted nightmares and stuff like that uh, it's very very difficult for them to actually not have the dps to kill the station itself and then you're kind of just sitting there right so the fight itself probably wouldn't have gotten as bloody if it was just in realm. They might have just kited us out uh, and not bothered to kill as many ships and just focus on the station itself. So um, that could have been the play. I've seen, we've seen those um, those kind of fights before. Yeah, I'll read this comments where Laura Seco here says, Innerhell Batphoned us the night before because because the defenders got in help through a good control through good control of their null sec static. So you guys explain that you got some people in and that's probably when inner hell asked HK to come help out. He continues. Laura Seco continues. We responded several hours later for some reason, the defenders never took whole control from inner hell and were able to get in and we were able to get in. We are not sure why. Um, I, I can explain a little bit about that because um, 
our main bulk force was in in capitals. It was in faxes and carriers. That was supposed to be the channel of the defense. Um, so if we at any point moved those forces to a static, um, we would have to be sure that we won. Uh, it would be the deciding fight. So uh, for us to do that, we would have to commit the timer to that fight itself. Rather than, I mean, we decided to rather have that on the 40 star where we could reship, we could um, get charges and fighters and and all that stuff on the 40 star rather than have it on the on a random uh, room. Yeah, it's a it's a really tough decision to make too. Because I mean, obviously, I've never done. Uh, much wormhole or if any wormhole eviction type things but if you plant all your forces on a on a hole and they just say okay we're we're gonna bubble you and leave uh especially in capitals that don't get the jump or anything or use the jump drive uh it could be <laughs> pretty bad you just lose your fortizar without having a fight to begin with so at least this way you had a, a chance yeah exactly but looking at what uh hard knock citizens or hard knocks brought um they're, they brought a pretty swaggy little fleet that looks like it was meant to, to kill capitals. Um, just isn't like all Ikaterasis uh, and, and Zarmaz and stuff. So like you, when you ramp up on a, a cap ship, it's, it's going to die. About uh, that, I think uh, some of our faxes actually were able to tank the Hardnox and Laserhawk fleet. And they actually had to core with Innerhell to kill faxes efficiently. So even though they do a lot of DPS, still might not be enough. They almost survived them. Uh, just, to, just to round out the discussion, Laura Seco says, Moon Lord is absolutely right. He made the safe call. I've done the same in his position. Unfortunately, the decision not to deny reinforcements is what cost them the day. Uh, was there any way to know they were getting reinforcements before they started showing up? Also, you got to consider that we only had a certain number of ships to give out. If we had 100 more dudes, it wouldn't be 100 more carriers on the field or 100 more materials on the fleet. And it would be something completely different. So we had to focus on the guys we got in, have them in proper ships, proper fittings, uh, and, and make that as strong as possible, not planning for someone that might come in an hour or two or three. Uh, it's very difficult to plan like that. It's very interesting in wormhole space that reshipping isn't an issue, isn't a, um, a small matter. If you get potted in a wormhole, you're out of the wormhole. You may not be able to get back into that fight, unlike nullsec or known space, where you can always get back into the fight. That's another thing why we were fighting on the Forza grid, because that allowed us to. Well, if you die, you have the option to tether back up and dock. And well, either get something handed to log off or get another ship and fight again. All right. So always, this... Sorry, can I, can I jump in here for a sec? Because I've always wondered with uh, wormhole groups, do they have um, like alpha clone doctrines logged off in their holes defending? And if they don't, why don't they? Uh, we do. We didn't have as many as we wished, uh, but we did do that because when we, when we finally got the connection to the null sector actually got our reinforcements in. We suicide rolled that hole, uh, that created hole to the null sec. And we, we sent a small wing of materials to try to establish hole control on the new null sec and got people in. So that's basically what we did. Okay. I wasn't sure because um, when Alpha Clones came out, the first thing I thought of, even though I don't play in Wormholes at all, I thought how you know strong that would be because of the whole if you die, you're not in the fight anymore. If you could just 
you know, wait for the fight to be over and then log in another 60 Feroxes or whatever, all alpha clones just sitting in there and just throw them all at their laundry wing or something, you could then possibly change the tide for the next fight or something. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, sadly, we, we kind of had to plan for a much smaller defense number as in pilots to defend with. So the, the fleet documents that we went with was, was capitals because they, can, they cannot bring capitals in. They have to fight with subcaps against capitals. So they, basically, the ships that we would want to have in Alpha Clones would have to be something that's extremely brick tank and catch reps from faxes. What if going the other route and just having like high DPS whatever's in there just to throw at their laundry wing first and then fight with your mains? Like, do people do that? Or Not really, because... Everyone's fleet doctrine is extremely, extremely tanky. Uh, pretty much, I think pretty much all the Ikis had uh, amulet implant sets in, uh, and uh, the Lokis had like 180k EHP with with links. Uh, so alphaing stuff is extremely difficult. Even even with something like that, you would need an absurd number. Fair enough. Just wondered. All right. So the the last part of this was the. The chatter in wormhole space just got elevated. I started hearing about this from many different directions about how important a fight this was because it's proving that inner hell maybe isn't really looking to have fights. They're looking to win fights. Um, what What's going on in the wormhole community as far as uh, that, I guess, that story? Like, are people concerned about HK and uh, inner hell and laser hawks combining forces to wipe everybody out? I think this isn't the first time that they've joined in evicting someone, and I don't think it's going to be the last time. So just have to prepare for more people to come. That's how I would see it. Also, I think um, I think some of the changes that have been made has has happened quite a while ago. Actually, people don't dump resources into having three, four keep stars in their system anymore, just because of that reason. They know that the Sandcastle will get kicked over at some point. And we thought the same way. So we were planning on getting evicted and to reduce the damage done to us. Um, so that's why we had a lot of freighters. So, you know, things like that you can prepare for. So even if you, even if you have a giant force running around uh, killing stuff, it's very difficult for them to actually hold uh, hold a hold on the um, on the holes, so uh, it's it's hard to control all the wormhole space, even with a big group a group like that. Yeah, I've heard actually that uh, people aren't setting down bear holes anymore either. Like people are just kind of nomadic. You take some ships in, you try to make money with those ships. They will get destroyed, and by then, hopefully, you made your money and you left instead of going into a hole, putting down a structure, and trying to base yourself out of it as kind of a money-making endeavor yeah it's a it's a risk reward kind of thing right so it's almost like uh, finally the prices of homes have gone so high that it just makes sense to rent all right enough of my it's so interesting like uh the like the the way the politics are in in wormholes you know at some point it's just a matter of time before you get evicted so don't don't put too much in there and i love how people responded to that instead of saying Ah, uh, screw wormholes. We're gonna go live. I quit somewhere else. <laughs> I'm leaving you forever. You're just like, well, we'll just be a, a little bit more nomadic instead of dropping like 
uh, 10 Fortazars, we'll drop one and save nine for when we get evicted. We'll log out all the freighters. Uh, and then once the, uh, the guys leave, we'll just plop a new one down and resume life as normal. I love that idea. I think well, so, I would be uh, too. I think personally, I'd be too frustrated. Once I got evicted the first time, I'd be like, oh, screw this. I hate these guys. They're all working against me. And I'm in ditch to go somewhere else. And, I mean, what what would you have lost is rigs of your ships and everything you used to fight. And this sounds like a normal PvP for me. Yeah. All right. So is so would you say that there is, uh, are things changing in wormholes? Are people worried about, I've talked to some people who are like, yeah, we're not even making plans to to stay. And as soon as I see like certain signs maybe of uh, inner hell kind of showing up or something, they just start packing it up. Well, I think with the, uh, like, you can't draw frigates holes anymore. I think that might be harder for people to evict someone. Yeah. Because it's a matter of time until a frigate hole spawns. And, like, you either have to hold, like, perfect control, I don't know, like, smart bombs around it to kill scepters that are coming in or not let them scan it, but, Basically, if you have enough ships you can hand out and get a way in, you can always at least get a fight. Well, it's crazy to me that those uh, frigate holes were supposed to be a way of constantly being able to get into a system. They were supposed to be hard as hell to to uh, collapse. So it, I guess I shouldn't be shocked that wormholers figured out how to collapse those frigate holes. So yeah, now... So now now they can function the way they were supposed to since the mass changes, the pro propulsion module mass changes. Yeah, I think uh, Innerhall used 15 minutes to close a fresh frigate hole. Uh, so that was the window we had in, in four days. That's a small window in four days, isn't it? Yeah. So and, uh, it's a fatigue game. And now how long would it take for them to, after the, the change, how long would it take now for them to close the, the frigate hole? Like if, uh, if like this, if this uh, eviction was happening like today, right after the, after the change. Uh, honestly, I don't even know if they would have tried because it would have taken hours and a lot of ships, um, to do that. It's, it's almost oh. impossible to do. Wow. That's huge. That, that does definitely change. Like I, I was reading the Eve subreddit and, uh, for the, for the first part, it was a lot of angry wormholers for, for a while. Um, and then the memes went to like, hmm, this is really great for when I'm being evicted. If I can get a, a as you said, like there's going to be a frigate hole. It's just a matter of time. And if I've got a big enough cash, then my buddies can come in and uh, and maybe this eviction kind of goes a different way. Well, this might change the uh, the political map, right? Now you might you might see some wormholers trying to be friendly with, say, nullsec groups or just diplomacy happening. Since now you have doors that might always be open, uh, you may see some some changes in the diplomatic landscape based on that mechanic change. From wormholes with love, <laughs> that, yeah. was, that was the the most recent Team Talos expansion, and, and a lot of wormholers didn't necessarily feel the love. But at least it's changing, and, and change is always good. Which is um, well, they got stuff they liked, and then, and then they got stuff they didn't like. Apparently, yeah, sounds about right. Thanks, guys, for telling us your story. Is there anything else that you uh, had on your mind? No, no, just thank you for having us on the show. And, uh, you know, we're always up for content. So next time, see you in the space. Yeah, next time it'll be you evicting. Who knows?
Uh, okay, so the next uh, part of the show is the last part of the show. We're going to talk to Noisy Gamer about the health of the economy. We're going to put up some graphs. And we're going to talk about uh, a lot of the indicators that are that we look at for it. We're actually more a Noisy Gamer than me. But we also want to talk a little bit about CCP and uh, the, in, in, it's called the investor call, I think, that uh, Pearl Abyss, the owning company, had and to see if there's any clues in there on what to look forward to we could we could start with one first of all i want to say hi noisy gamer how are you oh i'm doing okay thanks for waiting man um first i want to ask you well first we should talk about this all of us should talk about this anybody who wants to uh project nova is now officially kaput i think and so for those that don't know uh, a long time ago, in 2011, there was a game called Dust 514 that came out. That morphed into, uh, that came out for a while. Um, it was, it ended up being a little bit profitable at the end of its life cycle, but it was on a PS3. And the PS3 was on its uh, end of its life cycle, so the game kind of died with PS3. But the idea of a first-person shooter for EVE Online's landscape morphed into a game called Legion, and that morphed into a game called Nova. These are all project names, not actual releases. And then Legion uh, was premiered in 2017, I believe, in Las Vegas, and it uh, met with bad reviews because it wasn't anything new or novel. And it wasn't tied to EVE Online, so it was really just window dressing on uh, uh, you know, first-person shooter that didn't really break any boundaries. So they decided to go back to scratch and go back to the drawing board and then they recently announced months later that they're not going to continue development on it interestingly the guy that was in charge of dust 514 and those iterations i believe his name is ccp ratati and he is now in charge of eve online's economic and ecological balance it's the the entire uh like the ip like uh, ecosystem i think which means balance economy and mineral depletion rates and that kind of stuff. And this guy is very interesting. I think incredibly smart. I think he's been with CCP since 2007. I believe he worked in their finance department first. So he has a background in this, but also he's the guy that inherited 514. And if you remember, 514 had a lot of problems when it started. It didn't have a lot of problems when it ended. It was actually making money. I do want to point out because uh, CCP did kind of... Um, we did hear from their, their communications department and other stuff that the code name of Project Nova is dead, but the idea of, or like the concept of a, uh, a an EVE Online IP first-person shooter is still being developed by their um, London studio, right? So it's not like we're never going to get these games again. It's just the name Nova is, is gone, uh, or the code name Nova is gone, and uh, they're kind of going back to the drawing board, but they're still at the drawing board. <laughs> so yeah. they, they still have, yeah. uh, there's still stuff that's going to come. Yeah. What happened is um, they were almost at the point where they were ready to open up their beta to a select group of people, uh, of players. And it was like, no, this isn't good. So they, 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 they trashed it. Uh, one thing about Grendel's, CCP Grendel is the head of uh, PR. One thing about his statement though is that he stated that um, that the uh, uh, stu London studio was it was going to be the thing that they're working on was this F, you know was this the the follow up to um, 
that was the follow-up to uh, Project Nova. But they're also working on an action MMORPG in the London studio also. And I don't see those two things really merging unless it, for an FPS. Now, maybe they're going to change. Maybe they're going to work on a, a third-person shooter in in the, you know, in, in there instead of a first-person shooter, but I'm still not sure shooter equals action. So basically, they're going to try and make like a, a Tarkov type uh, type game. Is that like Ooh. I'm not really big into the that that scene at all. Um, I, I, we, I follow it very tangentially. We should say though that Tarkov is what Eve players are playing now. A lot of the guys that like Small Gang are playing Tarkov, which is a kind of a squad first person shooter game. Yeah, I, I was actually first introduced by, by watching Bjorn B play it, actually. I was like, oh, what the hell's going here? And it's, it's like fascinating. It does feel very Eve-like uh, in a way. Yeah, definitely, man. It's got that fear or loss thing that people have to get over. Same kind of as an Eve, like don't fly what you can't afford to lose. That same mentality. And honestly, I think if CCP are doing a shooter, it has to have the whole loss part in it. It can't just be a generic like hack and slash type shooter. It has to be something Eve-esque, you know? Yeah, vampiric. So, yeah, I mean the only one that I've really think I've played that's kind of like that is that's an MMO, a shooter MMORPG was Defiance, and that that was rushed into production because it was also associated with the TV show, and so I think it got rushed out in 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 a pretty bad state. And Defiance was also um, uh, when it launched was uh, being uh, run by. Or, or was the, the executive producer was a former CCP Eve Online executive producer. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, Nathan Richardson was his real name. Oh, he was the big. He was the big. Uh, he was CCP guard before guard, right? He was the big personality for Eve. Yeah, when you see the uh, the uh, hot, the HTFU video, uh, he is Techno Viking. Right. Uh, plus, he was a fixture at fan fests and stuff. So he was a. He was a big personality. Yeah. So, I'll oh, go ahead. Yeah. Let's let's move on to. Um, well, actually, we might as well move into CCP since we were talking about Legion. What you listened in on the investor call? You're pretty careful about these things. Do you hear anything? Okay. So on the investor calls, they usually don't say very much about CCP products, and there was nothing said about Project Nova. Um, the uh, maybe the closest that they came to mentioning anything about any projects under development is that Pearl Abyss is doing a lot of hiring for their games that are being developed right now. Uh, they've got, they've got their own Pearl Abyss games. And then we know that there is an unnamed action MMORPG being produced in London. And now we've got whatever is being transferred from Reykjavik to London based on the, um, uh, you know, based on that was based on uh, Project Nova and whatever got transferred over. So there's a lot of hiring going on with Pearl Abyss, not just the CCP, what you see on CCP's site, but also every place else. Yeah. What do you think about the uh, the numbers that were put out there? What can they tell us about Eve Online? Well, they can tell you that the financial numbers and the in-game economy aren't necessarily linked to each other. Because uh, the um, 
because the fourth quarter of 2019 was the best financial quarter that CCPs had since they've been since the prohibition uh, acquired them. So that's number one. The um, numbers actually went up. I think it was 6.2 percent uh, uh, quarter over quarter from Q3 to Q4. So Q3 was the quarter that had blackout. Q4 was the um, you know it was the quarter that the uh, Korean invasion happened where they came out with the Korean client and all these Korean players said, Hey, this is a pretty cool game. Let's go play. And now we've got a, now we've got everybody scrambling in uh, politically to get Chinese corporations, Korean corporations and all that stuff for that, that new growing uh, time zone. What's interesting though, we were talking about this earlier is that, skill points aren't flying off the shelf. So new players aren't just grabbing skill points, it looks like, uh, or skill injectors and trying to make their way to the high-end content, let's say. Yeah, it, it's like, um, I think that the I think Korean players are, are, and the whole Eastern mindset's a little bit different in which they don't mind grinding. They like grinding. It's it's So you're grinding and it's like, okay, so I'm going to grind and I'm going to, have my frigates and then I'm going to have my destroyers and then I'm going to have my cruisers and they're going to go and they're going to work their way up the scale. And maybe that might make them better players because they're going to be familiar with the, with the frigates that are going to be familiar with all these, these ships going up the line. Whereas like maybe a Western player comes in and wants to fly battleships right away. So they skill inject all the way up there. They skip all the other steps and they're flying battleships. Um, so there's that thought too. And I and it could be that Korean players aren't going to be chasing the flavor of the month. Yes, that's what it tells me. Of course, it might be me being hopeful, but it's kind of like they're entering the game and they're not the generation of Asakai. They're not the generation of BTAC-R that are coming in saying, where's that big fight? Get me in there right now. They're coming in to play the game. Uh, the PVE and the mining and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's what I'm thinking. It's I mean, really, I mean, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, it's really interesting because I know like without any data or information, right? The prevailing <laughs> wisdom was, oh, these guys, they're going to come in. Uh, they're going to, they're going to like bot or they're going to do something bad and they're going to make all this isk and they're going to be in, in like carriers and like, they're going to be like month old characters and carriers and stuff and, and doing that. Like that was like the doom and gloom mindset, but it's super interesting to see that. Hey, no, that's not the it's, case. In fact, the injectors are selling horribly. Yeah, totally, <laughs> These people know. want the want the experience of what it is um, like to grind and stuff like that. the The problem that I see though is like I agree with the the sentiment that a lot of uh, that type of player likes to grind, but in Eve Online, there is no there's not really a grind in terms of how your skills progress. It's just waiting. So uh, that, that that might be an interesting dynamic to, to watch in a few months. But it's so cool to see that prevailing wisdom was horribly wrong uh, once we look at actual data. It's kind of xenophobic if you think about it, right? It's like Eve's xenophobia. These foreigners are going to come in and take all our positions. Yeah, it does feel like that. <laughs> anyway, Bjorn. Yeah, one other thing that I saw early is uh, after we had the influx of Korean players, I saw them fighting each other in like frigates, videos of them just sitting at zero, just punching each other in the face. And it was amazing. It was just like two, <laughs> 300 of them just literally sitting at zero in Merlin's, just 
just literally punching each other in the face. And it was awesome. And they were just going up that kind of scale. I hope that they keep doing this and that they go, like you said, frigates to destroyers, then to cruisers. And they don't try and go for like the ultimate best ship or best fleet types, you know? See them just kind of slowly growing in their own kind of way. So you tell me they're they're fighting like the Redcoats? They're lining up in front of each other? Just sitting at zero, punching each other in the face. It's beautiful. You should watch that video. (laughs) There's no moving. There's just, there's no transversal, nothing. It's just, (laughs) it's it's awesome. (laughs) Just colonial style. (laughs) Front row, Neil, we're shooting over your head. That was my first like introduction to Brave Newbies when they were like just a brand new, like brand new tiny alliance. Um, I was in Losec and there's this guy in Brave Newbies in a Merlin. And then on the undock, there's a guy in like a Megathron. And then I watched this Merlin or it was an Atron or a Merlin or some, some dinky little frigate. And he attacks this Megathron, instantly dies. Um, but in the process, the Megathron shot him back just to get on the kill mail. And so this Megathron was aggressed on the undock. And the next thing you see is like 50 to 100 Atrons just piling in out of this undock, just trying to kill this Megathron. And they obviously they take him down because this guy, he's like, he's popping Atrons like they're, they're going out of style, but there's just too many of them. And I, that's when I was like first fascinated by the brave newbies. So it's, it was great to see the, uh, the Korean players just take out those frigates and just say, we fight like this. <laughs> yeah, and they're doing it and growing then each time, learning, okay, why did I die here? Why was I the first one to die? If they, if they have that mentality and the whole Spartan baby, you know, thing behind it, only the strongest survive, they're going to end up being really, you know, the next, next big thing. Like when it comes to what brave newbies were once, what they will be next. It's, it's really cool. And I can't wait to see the fresh takes that they have on, on the mechanics. Like, so uh, EVE players are like super insulated when it comes to theory crafting and, and strategies and stuff like that. Um, it's kind of like old and it's stale and if you can kind of trace it back to the same like four or five people that developed all the strategies and stuff. Um, so what if there's like a, this cool new strategy out there that we just haven't thought of? And then all of a sudden these Koreans, like they don't have, you know, that history to go back on. They don't have that training. They just come up with a, a new thing. There's 100% stuff out there that we've not thought of. Just like the sniping jump desi fleets you know jump destroyers were out for like a year and a half before people used to properly use them for sniping fleets there's definitely mechanics in there that nobody's thought of or is even trying maybe someone thought of but hasn't tried or or had the the opportunity to yeah they were originally used for kidnapping people off the they were hanging around structures they would kidnap them the harpooning fleets yeah yeah or the snatch fleets Uh, then i guess that developed into snatch fleets and then jumpy, jumpy fleets, which is kind of interesting. Oh, I'm sorry for people that don't understand all these terms. I'll explain it to you. DM me. Um, noisy gamer, I want to bring you back into this. The, um, so the Koreans are coming in and the skill points aren't flying off the shelf. Curious, but we don't know what that really means. Is there anything else on that investor call that um, you thought was interesting? Well, one of the, and, and, and Brisk said this on the Meta show yesterday, but the what what a couple of things that that Pearlbus is really after is like some stability in their revenue streams uh what they're seeing with black desert online is a very jumpy up and down uh kind of thing they get affected by uh their competition uh with the revenue streams and when you look at the revenue from eve from for eve online 
it's very, very stable. Uh, and, and so it's going to be interesting, like for the first quarter of this year, comparing it to lat to uh, first quarter of 2019 to see how that goes. But Prohibis is really looking for stability uh, and they're trying to do it with, with all their uh, internal titles, with, with all the Prohibis titles and CCP's already got that. So it's for, so CCP's like providing, you know, it's only like maybe one sixth of this revenue, but it is providing some stability there. Also um, the uh, on the call, they made a point. They don't, they don't talk about EVE Online very much, but they did make a point about uh, that they actually saw growth. And they said, yeah, this is a this game's over 10 years old and, and we're still seeing growth. It's like, this is an amazing thing, folks. Um, and that was that was their uh, attitude. And so if if we're seeing if they're pointing out on the call, the stability and even growth uh, in, uh, revenue growth, even though I don't think that they wanted to point out that Q4 is, I think is traditionally the biggest quarter, but, um, but yeah, so they're, they were like happy to point that out to all the investor analysts out there, for, you know, for Goldman Sachs and all those other, all those other big insurance, uh, investment firms, they were like really happy to point that out about Eve online and, yeah. and that. Well, that, that's something that even Hilmar told us when he showed up and did the, uh, blackout interview, uh, we were basically saying, did you ever consider just kind of sunsetting Eve and just milking it on its way out while you tried to do other things? And he, he admitted he actually had. He'd looked at it and thought, is it, is it worth putting more time into it or should we just kind of like, you know, s let it sunset? And instead he said, well, look at how fast people adopted the 64-bit client. That means the players in the game are still very, very interested in its development and loyal to it. And then you could see through other means how much interest there was outside of the game. So the equation was the players who were playing it still want to play EVE Online. And there's a lot of people who are incredibly interested in EVE Online, even if they're not playing it right now. And those two factors together made them double their efforts and get more involved in the development of um, the, the game itself. And I think we're in that era right now of a resurgence of uh, let's try some things, let's break some old things and uh, really a, a chaotic development. Let's try things, see how it works and adjust quickly. And at the same time, they're focusing like very heavily on the new player experience, right? So uh, I, I, it, I always get the, the feeling like, especially lately, especially when I'm talking to people, that you know, CCP is not necessarily trying to uh, cater to the to the people that are like old players or, or veteran players that have been playing forever, but they also want to incorporate new life and you know listen to to those voices as well. So instead of yeah. just milking the guys, as as you were saying, like hey, get some get some new blood in there, see what they do. Yeah. Now, and the reason for the concentrating on the new player experience is. You can get like all your monthly user, your monthly average or month, monthly active users, and that can go up really high. But if you don't convert the person that comes in and tries your game, uh, if you don't convert them into money, then it, then that figure is worthless. And I, I want to bring up an example from the Activision Blizzard earnings call that happened. They announced that the Activision part of the uh, company 
saw their um, their uh, monthly average monthly active users jump by like two and a half times, like from 53 million to like 125 million, something like that. But the revenue didn't go up very much because most of that was mobile users and they weren't able to convert the new user into spending money because they didn't, they didn't get engaged with the game and get involved like, like an Eve player does in their game. So it's not just like having the, the active users, the, like the monthly active user number. You also have to convert them into long-time users. And that's probably why, and that's, or I shouldn't say probably, that is why CCP is trying to get focus on the new user experience. Yeah, the, um, so that's why we got the red dot. <laughs> they can now be shut off thanks to complaints. But um, there's something there. I think I know what Brisk says is like they bought Eve to be a stable, stable moneymaker. I agree that must have been one of the calculations. You don't spend uh, a theoretical $425 million on something that you don't want to make money. Sure. Uh, they actually spent $200 million, but the other $225 million were actually in incentives for uh, CCP. And I think that tells you something. That says they're not just buying what they have, they're buying the future of what they have. So they bought CCP to make money, sure, but they also bought the, the uh, I think, the, the guys that design EVE Online, the uh, Hillmar, basically. They have a lab to do behavioral experiments. They've proven they can go a long distance with players, build loyalty, build a brand name that um, people stick with over a long, long period of time. And they can, they've survived all kinds of changes in the industry. MMOs have gone down. Um, what do you call it? Microtransactions have kind of come and morphed into something else. And so they're, they're navigating this uh, player base through a lot of changes in the industry and a lot of competition from not only home entertainment, but also mobile devices and stuff. So I think they did more than just buy a stable moneymaker. I think they bought Hilmar. I think they bought Hilmar and they bought this lab called EVE Online to do experiments, to cross-pollinate because they're in line with the same products and they can do that. And I also think the third reason is they wanted to buy access to, into China through Iceland, through Europe, um, to go into uh, the mobile market there because that's a gargantuan market for them. And well, you're also buying, one last thing, you're also buying EVE Online that has a loyal following and it has not yet put out its um, mobile game, a mobile version of the game, which when they did this year, they did put out Eve Echoes this year and it got half a million people just in the beta. That is a lot of potential income. Yeah, well, for for Pearl Abyss, when they bought Eve Online, they were also expecting to, to have uh, the uh, Serenity server up and running and that's still not up and running as far as I know. Uh, there's there's some conflicts between South Korea and uh, the People's Republic of China, which kind of like probably gets in the way. Um, so, so there is that. Well, that wouldn't affect Serenity, though. Serenity's not going up because there's, I think, a territorial problem uh, between two commissions. And one commission kind of tells the other one, yeah, you've approved it, but we haven't approved it. Therefore, it can't go up. And you need uh, yeah. approval from both commissions. It's a very interesting political landscape in uh, in China. Yeah, and and part of that is the whole well, we don't want to let companies come in, and that, and then so, that's where the whole South Korea uh, People's Republic of China thing comes in. Um, but so you had that, and then you had 
But remember, when they purchased uh, CCP, they also thought that they were purchasing a first-person shooter that was going to be going online probably by you know 2020 or so. Um, they they saw that there were two mobile games because remember there was a mobile game that we played at E Vegas uh, was it 2018 I think it was that they did a beta there but I don't know what's happened to that um, and and so there's there's like a lot of things that were in development when they purchased uh, when when Pearlbiz purchased CCP I don't want to get into you know. Is it going to be? Um, is it going to be? Uh, let's say I, I lost my track because I just hmm. dunk say something. <laughs> Don't worry, that, that's okay. Actually, I want to turn ba- us back into the uh, health of Eve Online's economy in the game. So we're talking a lot about the company, and that's great, but we really shouldn't uh, worry too much about it. Eve Online is going to be around. That's all we need to know. So, what about the economy in the game? Can we turn and talk about that? Yeah, if uh, you go and uh, look at um, if you go and look at uh, the the size of the economy, you're you're going to see that it's bouncing back from the low that happened in October, because uh, it, it it hit bottom in October and started bouncing back up in November, which happened to be when the Korean uh, uh, localization happened with the Korean client, and that's part of the reason why you bring in the the real life finances to help explain the the uh, in-game finances because the, the CCP and Prolabis they brought in all these Korean players and you see the economy going back up because you got more players doing more things and so the economy goes up. So what's this first chart we're looking at here with uh I think it's the four indicators. Yeah, okay, so when you look at the uh monthly economic report, you, there's like a chart and it's got four indices. Uh, you've got the consumer price index, the mineral price index, and the primary and secondary production price indexes. And as you see there, it, you know, it's, you know, it, it, it slid down during the blackout. And then even after the blackout, it slid down in, in October. And then in November, it started going back up. And you, you see that, at least on that chart, that the, that, that we're still at like, July levels, you know, at the, around the beginning of the blackout, you know, uh, and we're not back up to like last January. So we're, we're down year over year. So we're not, okay. So we're not back to, uh, as far as the financial indicators in the game, which are what, what are those financial indicators you pinned it on? Yeah. Okay. So you got the consumer price index, which is, you know, all the consumer products and in Eve online consumer products are like battleships, you know, uh, damage control uh, units, uh, ammunition, things like that. And also uh, in the consumer price index, you have things like the large skill injectors, small skill injectors, uh, and uh, like uh, the multiple training certificates, the, you know, there's things like that. So, yeah, so you got the, you got the consumer price index Um, on and you also might want to look at the three-year history because the full year, the full history, doesn't really like get you a lot because it, it's a little bit weird. Um, change. Yeah. So, so, so like the mining, the the the, the mineral price index is, is basically what it is. It's like Trit, uh, Pyrite, Mexilon, things like that, all the way up to Arcanon. 
is Arcanon is the no, I it's I, Mexilin or I'm sorry, I'm getting ores and uh, minerals mixed up. But and then like the uh, the pr uh, price indexes are like all those items that are required to to pull together to build other items, like you know like all your um, uh, reactions for for uh, from moon goo and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So you're looking at the base minerals that you harvest. You're looking at the preliminary things that you build that allow you to build secondary items. So you're looking at all layers of the, uh, the economy and how things are moving. Yep. And the biggest part of the economy is the, is, is covered by the consumer price index. Uh, it's kind of like in real life and like in, like in the Western countries, it's a consumer uh, oriented economy. It's not like a command economy where all your stuff is like, you know, it's like, you know, is judged by like building machines to build machines and things like that. It's, it's a consumer, consumer items are, are like how, the big part. Like how much Pepsi are, is, are people drinking stuff like that? Yeah. But except instead of Pepsi, it's, uh, it's, uh, Quave. Quave. Yeah. <laughs> How much quape is being consumed out there? Okay. Right. But you're basically seeing how, how, how the people, how many, how many people are using how many things that they need for their, for their adventures, as opposed to people building infrastructure and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. And it's, not, it's not like how many people, it's how much money the people are spending on each thing. Right. All right. So, and so your conclusion was that it's recovering still. We can see it going back up. It looks like it's pretty strong compared to like almost there, like almost recovered. Well, we're, we're getting almost to the point where we're back to where we were before um, uh, the, the blackout began. There is one thing, though, and that is like if we're only in like July and August levels, because depending on which one of those indices you look at, it's J July or August. If we're if we're comparing ourselves to that, and this is January, which is like lat, like for 2019, January was the month, uh, was the highest month. So if we're at the highest point and we're not at the lowest point traditionally in a, in a previous year, that's not so good. Mm. Now let me give you some hope, please. Okay, so, and I don't know if McLeod has, the, uh, has these graphs. There was, there's the consumer price index graph, and that shows that, you know, it's like the economy is like down and, and everything like that. And if you like look year over year, it, it looks really bad, right? So like in January, you had like it, it, the, all the items in the consumer price index were um was it was 568.2 trillion isk was was traded and and sold and everything and now we're down to like 485 in um uh, uh january of this year so that looks bad right that's like oh my gosh look at that it's it's going down but if you look at if you take away a category called accessories which holds um which holds um the large skill injectors and the small skill injectors and things like that, right? You will see that the, that level is basically the same as it was in January of 2019. 
And it's like basically the same, right? I mean, we're, we're back up there. If you take away the RMT tokens that are things like uh, the large skill injectors and, and, and so forth. So, mm-hmm. it, so if, if you are a person that doesn't, that doesn't buy skill injectors and, or any of that stuff, and you just like buy, you know, battleships and ammunition and, and things like that, then you see that the, the economy that you're involved in that you don't care about all that RMT crap, uh, you see that your economy is just about recovered. So that's a good thing. That is, uh, and that really tracks with uh, skill injectors not selling very well right now. That kind of stuff is not, and even Plex being kind of at a standstill at 3.4 around there. Uh, that, that RMT market uh, was hotter last year at this time. Oh, yeah. And but the but the player market is kind of recovered, and is that what you're telling me? That if you're buying stuff in the game, you're, you're yeah the, the market's back to where it was. Yeah, at least at least you know with the with the consumer portion of the economy. Now, when you go to the producer part of the economy, it's still down. the the mm. The minerals are down. The you know all the all the other stuff that you use to build the stuff that you, then goes into the consumer part. That stuff's down still. But it, but it's also going up, and so we, so it looks like we are under a recovery. Like you see, the mineral price index has gone from five point three to eight point three, and it's and it's it's back up there to like July levels. And at the rate it's going, if CCP doesn't do anything like nerf anomalies or nerf the size of asteroids or stuff like that, you can can see that it's going to keep going up. And uh, guess what? Uh, yeah, CCP is nerfing that. <laughs> they just announced there's going to be a mineral uh, a scarcity introduced into the game. I think actually it might bring prices up. Who knows? But you're going to uh, see two things pop out to me in the description of what's going to happen with minerals. There's going to be, overall, there's going to be scarcity. But their words, the words that CCP used are... And now I can't find them. But dynamic, I'll see if I do this by memory. Self-regulating dynamic self-regulating. Uh, mineral distribution. Thank you. Self-regulating caught my attention. That's a new phrase that they just put in. So dynamic and self-regulating minerals. That's going to change. That's going to change the amount of minerals people can get. Who knows if it goes up or down. And that's going to change the overall economy and the price for those things. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, and and you know it's like I I'm doing all this like really high level stuff and and things like that. If you're like looking for somebody that that, that can uh, go more into the weeds and tell you what items are doing, because I'm not th- I'm not at that point yet. I'm still at this very high level. Uh, I'd say go to uh, the Lone Wolf. He always has like a a video on Sundays talking about the economy. That's a very good resource for people to go listen to. If you, if you're interested in other things like that, like I said, I'm just doing like really high level macroeconomic yeah. stuff. Yeah. We'll save the mineral talk for a, a different day. We'll get maybe uh, the guy in charge of that is CCP Rotati. We were talking about him earlier. Let's see if we can get him on as a guest. All right. So again, blackout was a gigantic event that happened last year. Uh, basically at the end of summer. And um, you recently wrote a blog that says that uh, it hurt everybody, sure, but it actually hurt Goonswarm even more than you thought originally. Is that a fair statement? 
I, that was the original. And then I, I, I took a look at, or somebody took a look at another, uh, at the data and said, hey, that's wrong. Uh, apparently the data that, not apparently, the, the data that I originally used was from 20, it was June of 2018, not June of 2019. So, so basically what I did was it wasn't just blackout. It was all the nerfs that happens. And basically it was since uh, January of 2019, all those nerfs. I mean, if you give goons one nerf, maybe two nerfs, I mean, they organizationally can handle that. I mean, I mean, they're, they're not going to get hurt. But if you keep hitting them with nerf after nerf after nerf, right? Um, it, it's not no longer organizationally. It's it's affecting their pilots, and it's like if I, if I my gameplay is nerfed continuously, why am I even logging in? I think that may be happening, be, uh, and I and because. The goons have really, really gone down in the last 18 months. Well, maybe they just ate too much and they're full and they're sitting back and relaxing. They got their two or three Titans each. and Yeah, that, that's what I'm, I'm hearing. A lot of people were like, a lot of people joined the, the Imperium and they, you know, they went on that building spree. But now they, they have those giant, <laughs> giant endgame ships. They've used them. They've glassed an entire region with them. Uh, and now there's no need for them to keep doing it so much. Yeah, but you know, it's, it's, I, 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 I have to, yeah, well that, that one, one, that's when people leave, but two, I I know from personal experience, if you nerf my play enough, I'm, I'm, I'm out of there. I'm out of your game. Right. So if, and, and we know that CCP nerfed PVE content and, and resource collection starting in late, starting in late February, early March, and they kept continuously nerfing it, and then they hit blackout. And, and then you saw everything go down. And then, and then it really went south when um, the last of the uh, experience point uh, promotions ended in EVE Online the same day that WoW Classic launched. It was... It was like, and so then people st- kept going and leaving. And I think that may be why it bottomed out and act- it kept going, it kept bottoming out e- a month and six- a month after the blackout ended, people just were leaving and then you needed that injection of Korean players to get excitement back into the game. I, I-, I really think that's part of what happened. One of the most surprising things I ever heard was... Um... I think we were talking to a Russian FC who was in BTECR and the Russians were a big part of BTECR. Uh, since they speak a different language, it's hard to get their side of the story. So we always hear about like the heroes from what, you know, the European side and the American side. Um, but he basically said that after the, after BTECR was won by Russians and Goonswarm and, uh, uh, I guess darkness, um, that a lot of Russian players kind of said like, well, I'm all done. We did it. Mission accomplished. Let's go play something else. And you know what? And I can believe that players that, that, and and this is, and I wish that we had Caneros here to to address this, but um, 
I, I really, I really wonder if people just left because PVE isn't that good in Eve anyway, and then it, it kept getting nerfed. And when the next big war comes out, the Horn of Gunian, uh, Gundar is going to come out, and all these Imperium players are going to come back because they got they got a big war to fight again. I'm wondering if that's going to happen. I think the Horn of Gundar is like gone. <laughs> I think it, it didn't. They sounded it during World War B, uh, you know, or the Northern Invasion. And, uh, it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't, it, it wasn't anything different than what was happening on the other side with people coming back to PL and NC to, to fight that war. Yeah. But I are you going to, are you, are you going to fight a losing war though? Come back to fight a losing true. war? I think what happened is people adapted to that strategy and there's now like an NC dot horn and, and, uh, and a PL horn and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, uh, during, uh, the, the, World War B or the Casino or whatever you like to call it. The good numbers surged, like they went way up. But at the time, uh, so much had happened that the rest of the universe was against them. So they kind of fell flat. Did, uh, it, just, did it really surge? I, know, I didn't know that. It, it did surge. And especially when it came to uh, defenses and branch, you had like 2,000 people on their side, right? Uh, and doing some some uh during some ops yeah but you also had three thousand people on the other side and you know so many people were thirsty for that for that uh that dead imperium body that they just it was just ravenous right it's a snowball that you couldn't control no matter how many horns you uh you sound no matter how many horns yeah uh so the so but you were basically saying so your article was a little misguided at first because you calculated the wrong numbers but your overall impression is that the goons goon swarm of the imperium has slowed down over the last 18 months yeah it, it definitely has i mean 18 months ago if you would have thought that anybody was going to outrat uh the goons in delve and that delve wasn't going to be the home you know the number one ratting region in, in the game it, it would have been like okay did they quit Right, because this this year, this month, actually, we saw that title get taken away by fraternity, basically. Yeah, I mean the the ratting, you know, right. uh, but only the ratting. If you combine the ratting plus the mining, then Delve is still number one. But just on pure ratting, it's it, it went to Osa, or is that how you pronounce it, Osa? Oasa, I call it. It's however we want to pronounce it, but yeah. I've heard Owasa most. That's two syllables. Three syllables. Yeah, but it's interesting to see Owasa kind of take that title. Now, to keep, keep in mind, the people who are ratting in Owasa are fraternity, and they are 10,000 people big. The Imperium, Goonswarm alone, is 30,000 people. Uh, players or counts, actually. So the group is one-third the size, and they're outperforming, at least in ratting. Recently, in the last two weeks, we've seen the ratting increase dramatically in Delve. Uh, so they used to have zero of the top 10 spots, and now they have like four. So they're, they're back on their game, too. We'll see what happens in February. Yeah, and it's also good to like kind of look at it uh, with some context. The, the people in Owasa, they, they just got out of a, a basically a six-month-long protracted war uh, and engagement, right, where they weren't really able to earn isk or like anytime they did some ratting it was to build like military like uh, strategic levels rather than to pad their wallets so now you've got this 
this uh, giant force who has just been hammered over and over again uh, through war. Uh, they've got a chance to rebuild their coffers in, in safe space, and they are definitely making use of that opportunity. Um, it's like we actually even, we've seen them like translate that into a super cat fleet that you wouldn't imagine six months ago that fraternity would have a, a super cat fleet the size that they have now. Yeah, really fast. Yeah. And well, I don't know if it's fast because before they, they went to the where they're at now, uh, they were in Outer Passage. And I remember telling the Matani like at E Vegas that, oh, you know, I, I remember asking him, hey, what's going on in Outer Passage? And it's like on the complete other side of the galactic uh, map. And so he didn't like know. Um, <laughs> right. It was like, well, that's that's over there. It's like we, we don't care. Um, and that, yeah. And I guess the Outer Passage wasn't as good of space as it uh as as uh, Oasa, o- Oasa is, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's like they moved to better space, and uh, yeah, it's like they're outperforming goons now. At, le- at least, at least I should say oh. the goons in Delph. Yeah, yeah. Something interesting is happening in Outer Passage, though. That all their soft just dropped from uh, one group and it went to a Russian group. So something's going on there. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out there as total tinfoil, but I think there's some trading going on. I think, I think inner hell might be mm, evicting some wormholers to try to get some say Chinese renters in there that are uh, interested in making money in those areas. I think definitely there's money making endeavors happening. And I think some of the parties involved are fraternity and inner hell and definitely something's going on with Russians in Outer Passage right now. I just don't know what it is yet. Well, it could be that they're, and, and this is like some tinfoil that I heard at E Vegas. Uh, it could be that Inner Hell is needing a outside uh, NOSEC uh, source to fund all their efforts to, to be evicting people. And basically, I heard that they were going to be trying to take over all of the C5 wormholes in, in the game. So it could be, and they, and they, they need a, uh, they need a, uh, outside income source because e- even as good as wormholes are, it's not going to provide all the income. And that was the rumor that I heard. And it could be that some group out there is they're selling stuff or they're, they're picking stuff up and they're going to be using it to, uh, generate additional income. Mm. Definitely tinfoil. Joyce, you still in here? Do you fall asleep? I'm still here. Um, I don't know. It's, I think it's pretty hard to rent up all of C5 space, but maybe it's possible. Like it's a lot of systems, all of C5. Yeah, Inner Hell tried it a few years ago and they failed. And so they might be trying it again. Um, so that, that's just what I heard from uh, Nullsec, or I'm sorry, Wormhole CEOs. Because uh, I, I was hanging around a couple of them, uh, w- with a couple of them at uh, Vegas. Okay, so getting word that... Uh... Circle of Hell, which are the people in Outer Passage, have nothing to do with Inner Hell. That's official. And uh, Circle of Hell are Russian, I believe, but they are like renters. So maybe that's, that has nothing to do with it. I still think there is a link between um, Fraternity and Inner Hell for some reason. I could be totally wrong. And I, want, I wanted to... Yeah, I'm just reading some stuff. We actually did have a really interesting uh, episode with Inner Hell, I think a month ago, maybe five weeks ago. Yeah, it was um, called Encounter Inner Hell. Yeah, where like, because they're, they're a group that we don't really, not only are they a wormhole group primarily, but they're also 
uh, primarily Russian. So like it's it's two obstacles to to like try and jump over to to get any information about them. So it was like really enlightening to to see how they operate and uh, you know what their motivations are and stuff like that. So I yeah. would suggest you guys if you haven't heard they it, also, you listen. That is really good. It's a very rare interview. Uh, so to check that one out, it's called Encounter Inner Hell. It's talking in stations about a month ago. And, but they have told us and we have heard that they are trying to do something and something big is going to happen and it should be happening right about now. So we don't know what it is. Uh, there's something, something happening. I don't know what it is. And that's exciting. You know, it's, it's nice to know what's going to happen, but it's even nicer to be uh, surprised by something going on. Yep. Okay. Um, Noisy, anything else about the economy that you wanted to touch on? No, that those were the highlights that I came up with. I'm still trying to figure out how to analyze the stuff faster because, oh, and one other thing, I'm going to predict that the uh, MER for, is it June? The, no, the, the April MER is not going to come out until after the investors call for May. The uh, the P the Pearl of an investor call in May, because that's just what they've been doing. They've been holding off on issuing the MER until after that investors call. So that's the only thing that I have left, and that's just the uh, out of game uh, prediction. Super insider baseball right there. I don't I don't know what to make of that, but okay. <laughs> um, you you had something? Or? Well, I'm just going to say that uh, if they keep the ME if they have the MER after the investors call, then that means that no last minute bad news could possibly come in, in the investors call and affect the stock price of Pearl this. Oh, okay. We're such a small blip. I think one of the the, the most entertaining tidbits uh, of your blog or or your tweets, one of the two that I got is that the um to date revenue from uh from the Eve Online product for Pearl Abyss was equivalent to their uh, marketing budget for Black Desert Online. Is that, am I like remembering parts of that wrong or? Well, it, it's for the entire company, but yeah, it's, it's basically uh, the, the marketing budget doesn't, is, is larger than the EVE Online revenue. That's, that, that's <laughs> just one of those things that I thought was funny. That is really funny. I got a good chuckle at that, but we're important still. That's right. <laughs> This isn't all for nothing in the machine. All right. Wow. What a two hour show. Uh, We're trying to get these down to one hour, but there's so much to talk about that we just had to like uh, explore all these topics. Uh, Next week, we're going to have CCP. This is not yet confirmed, so I probably shouldn't say it. We might have another CCP uh, on on the show. So that'd be a really good interview. I think it's confirmed, actually, but we're looking at Muppet Hunter. It was, uh, it's going to be a really interesting interview because the guy is super interesting, very likable and interesting. Uh, we're also trying to set something up with CCP Rattati. Uh, we'll see how that works out. And uh, the reason we bring you CCP is not because um, of their prestige, although that's great, but also because these are the guys that think up and dream up EVE Online. Uh, to a large degree and manage its uh, success and development and stuff. And so insight into who they are as people gives you insight into EVE Online's development. And insight into EVE Online's development gives you an advantage. (laughs) 
I guess at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? That's why we're obsessed with these sorts of things. It is also really cool to be like to have that accessibility with uh, the people that are making the game. That's something I never really got in any other game that I played. Like uh, I think uh, the game that I play the most besides EVE Online is, is Dota 2. And I have never even seen an interview with the lead designer of uh, Dota 2. I barely even know his name. Don't know anything about it. The only thing I know is he likes to eat mangoes because he put mangoes in the game. And then that's it. <laughs> that's literally the only thing. Meanwhile, compared to CCP, and I know what some of the developers had for breakfast this morning because they're you know posting on Twitter and stuff like that. So <laughs> it's one, one of the more interesting dynamics, and, and I'm glad we have it around. Are they eating mangoes? <laughs> they're not eating mangoes. I'm sure Bjorn can attest to the fact that there are no, no mangoes in Iceland. I also think it's it's part of the magic sauce of this whole place, though, is if you look back even from the very beginning at EVE Online, it really did seem like developers and players were building the game together, as weird as that sounds. Yeah, there, there's like a, um, a little tug of war going on in there, but somewhere in the middle, the, the magic of EVE Online does feel like it happens. Uh, and that's not to take away from any uh, anything that the developers do. Like It's not like, oh, they steal ideas from the community. They definitely don't do that. But... Uh, there is give and take, and it does create this little magical, magical little space game that we play. I do want to close out on one thing that I, I wanted to bring up earlier in the show when we were talking about the Eve Pulse video, but I completely forgot. Um, there is a member of the Eve Online community who uh, does Eve Online watercolor paintings, and they are absolutely fantastic. Uh, his name is Lloyd George, and he just, just really, or he just announced that CCB are allowing him to sell that his original works. Uh, he'll be at FanFest selling them. And if you haven't taken them out and you're a fan of EVE Online, um, you should definitely uh, look at his work. They're completely gorgeous. Uh, some of the, the nice, nicest little EVE Online paintings that you can find. Um, we'll try and throw some up for you. I know it's last minute, sorry, McLeod. But uh, yeah, so so they're available. Um, this isn't an ad or anything. It just, I am like super passionate about uh, uh, watching people from the EVE community get elevated. And uh, this guy's done some amazing work over the years, and it's it's really it, it's really beautiful, and you guys should should appreciate it. That's awesome. Okay, last couple things. Uh, CSM Summit is next weekend, so we'll look at that when the minutes come out. A few months later, a few weeks later, those are worth reading. We'll go over all that stuff when it happens. The summit itself won't you won't hear much. You'll just see pictures of uh, the players and the staff of CCP having uh, meals and drinks together and stuff like that. Uh, but that is happening this next weekend. And also, we put earlier, but DDoS attacks kind of crippled players' abilities to get in on playing the game. So as a gesture of goodwill, CCP is re uh, giving away skill points to your characters, 100 for alphas, 350 for omegas. That's 1,000, 350,000. You must claim it. And I think you have until April to claim it. Otherwise, it evaporates. So make sure you get that. All right. One last thing for talking in stations, our YouTube is just going crazy. We have 15,000 views in this last week, 50,000 in the last 28 days. Uh, that's pretty good. So a little pat on the back to us. Uh, I want to say, uh, do not ever compare talking in stations to Bjorn B because it will make us look terrible. Uh, he, his numbers what? dwarf ours. <laughs> Your numbers dwarf ours because uh, he has such a great and big following. Bjorn B, thanks for being on the program today. Thank you so much for inviting me, man. It's been really fun to be able to take part of it and to like hear what you guys talk about because I usually stream at this time. So I 
I don't get to catch this kind of show, you know? Thank you very much for yeah, having me. That's great, yeah. Yeah, sure, absolutely. We'll have you on much more often. Also, I want to thank Noisy Gamer for coming on. Thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And the guys from Beyond the Breach, uh, Mon and Joyce is probably still here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks, man. It's good to hear from you guys. We want to hear more. We are spinning up a wormhole show just for your topics. That is coming back soon in about two weeks. The whole story will be back uh, with new hosts and uh, uh, definitely a bunch of topics. All right. Elise, thanks so much, man. This program with you and Carneros here, this is what makes it possible. Well, and thank you. Uh, I know Carneros has, is celebrating a, a birthday, so he couldn't be here today, but we do miss him. And so does so do many of our guests. So we'll, we'll, he'll be here next week, though. Right. And last but definitely not least, the guy that puts it all together for us, McLeod. Thank you very much. Uh, oh, and I want to say thanks to January Valentine, who helps us organize and produces the shows that you guys hear. This one's a hodgepodge of both our efforts, which is why there's so much in one show. But she's the one that streamlines it and makes sure that we get uh, good, solid topics going forward. Thanks, everyone. And thank you, audience. We will see you next time on Talking in Stations. <laughs>